Welcome to Bradley's Micro Board Review, where we try to make your board's review for microbiology a little less painful. But, I mean, we're not magicians or anything. This still sucks. Today is March 16th, and we're going to talk about an organism that is so infamous that it's mentioned in the histories of nearly every religion and culture. It was so feared that cultures around the world believed it to be a punishment from God. But today, we'll try to demystify this ancient enemy. Leprosy is another disease that has haunted humankind since before the first human civilizations. Leprosy is caused by the bacterium Mycobacterium leprae. It is not often reported in the U.S., but the armadillo is the natural reservoir for this bacterium, so cases are sporadic. Mycobacterium leprae is transmitted through contaminated respiratory droplets. It is an acid-fast bacterium, so that means it contains mycolic acid. It is also an obligate aerob, and it prefers to grow at low temperatures. This means that it favors the extremities where the human body temperature is slightly lower. The organism also has a virulence factor called phenolic glycolipid 1, which I'll explain more when we get to pathogenesis. Leprosy causes primarily two manifestations, and which type your patient will develop depends on the dominating immune response. The first type is called tuberculoid leprosy. This causes extensive hypopigmented or reddened plaque formations all over the body. These can often mimic ringworm infections, and it can also cause the formation of granulomas all over the body, which is why it's referred to as the tuberculoid type of leprosy. Tuberculosis, granulomas, get it? Tuberculoid leprosy occurs when the immune response is really strong and is a type 1, Th1, type of immune response. Th1 is referring to the phenotype of the CD4-positive T-cells that dominate this immune response. This very strong pro-inflammatory phenotype is really good at fighting off bacterial infections, so it's able to keep the bacterial burden low. The second type is called Lepromatous leprosy. This version forms large diffuse granuloma lesions. These granulomas can form on the face and hands causing severe disfigurements. The facial disfigurement typically presents as a loss of the eyebrows, nasal collapse, and lumpy earlobes. This type of leprosy is dominated by the type 2 Th2 response which is not very good at eliminating this bacterial infection, causing a large bacterial burden. During leperomatous leprosy, the bacteria will use its phenolic glycolipid 1 to attach to laminin 2 on Schwann cells and infects them. The immune response does what it's supposed to and tries to clear the bacterial infection by eliminating the infected cells. Unfortunately for the patient, that means that this, they will experience anesthesias, loss of sensations, and eventually paralysis. So in the real world, the line between these two types is not as thick as we would imagine. The vast majority of patients present with a mixture of both types. 
To diagnose leprosy, there's a skin antigen test where you can inject the antigen lepromin into the skin of patients. If the patient is suffering from tuberculoid leprosy, which is dominated by that type 1 response, the patient will have a positive wheel and flare reaction. If the patient has leporomatous leprosy, which is dominated by the type 2 response, the patient is going to have a negative response to the antigen because they are allergic to that antigen. Therefore, the best diagnostic test is to do a skin biopsy and stain with the carbal fusion staining to detect acid fast bacilli. You can also grow the organism on Lowenstein Jensen auger, but this organism has a very slow replication rate, so cultures take a very long time. There is also a serological test where you can detect the amount of anti-PGL1 antibodies, and this has been shown to be directly proportional to the organism burden. Treatment is prolonged and requires multiple antibiotics due to the presence of mycolic acid and the organism's particularly slow replication rate. It's possible that the anesthesias and paralysis caused by this organism is permanent, even after the organism has been cleared. So diagnosing this early is critical. Now let's take all that knowledge and bring it to the boards. A 23-year-old male presented with fever, malaise, and arthralgia for the past two weeks and a dry cough for the past five days. Vital signs reveal a temperature of 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Physical examination reveals bilateral cervical, axillary, and inguinal lymphadenopathy and hepatosplenomegaly. He had markedly fewer eyebrow hairs than normal and a rough, lumpy face. Both ulnar and tibial nerves were thickened on the left side. Laboratory studies reveal leukocytosis and neutrophilia. A lymph node biopsy was performed and showed the presence of granulomas. A skin biopsy revealed the presence of acid-fast bacilli. What is the most likely diagnosis? Is it A, lepromatous leprosy, B, tinea corporis, C, tuberculosis, or D, tuberculoid leprosy? This patient is presenting with fever, dry cough, arthralgia, skin lesions, lymphadenopathy, hepatosplenomegaly, loss of eyebrows, thickening of the nerves, granuloma formations, and the presence of acid fast bacilli. Choice A, leporomatous leprosy, presents large, diffuse granuloma formations. It's possible that anesthesias and paralysis can occur. The inflammation to the nerves might cause a thickening of the nerves that can be palpable, just like in this patient. B, tinea corporis, is the diagnosis for a ringworm infection that appears on the body. Tinea's can often mimic tuberculoid leprosy, in that they both can have the formation of skin plaques. Choice C, tuberculous, tuberculosis, is caused by mycobacterium tuberculosis, which is an acid-fast bacilli that can cause the formation of granulomas throughout the body. Choice D, tuberculoid leprosy, presents with hypopigmented or reddened lesions and granuloma formations. Therefore, the correct answer is A, leporomatous leprosy. 
A 40-year-old female presents to the dermatology clinic with recurrent patchy rashes. Physical examination revealed erythematous patches with well-defined margins and small satellite lesions. A skin biopsy revealed non-caseating epithelioid granulomas. A skin antigen test with tuberculin was negative and lepermin was positive. Chest radiography was normal. What serological testing would best confirm the suspected diagnosis? Is it A, anti-pneumococcal antibodies, B, anti-phenolic glycolipid 1 antibodies, C, anti-nuclear antibodies, or D, anti-Borrelia burgdorferi antibodies? First, diagnose the patient. The patient is presenting with erythematous patches with well-defined margins, non-caseating granulomas. You might suspect sarcoidosis or tuberculosis. However, the chest radiograph is normal and the tuberculin skin test is negative. Choice A, anti-pneumococcal antibodies can be helpful when diagnosing post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis, but this patient isn't presenting with those symptoms. Choice B, antiphenolytic Glycolipid-1 antibodies are helpful in diagnosing infection with Mycobacterium leprae and can help us determine the organism burden, which might indicate which type of immune response is dominating in this patient. Choice C, anti-nuclear antibodies are used to diagnose autoimmune diseases like systemic lupus erythematosus. Choice D, anti-Borrelia burgdorferi antibodies can be useful in detecting possible Lyme disease exposure. Therefore, the correct answer is B, antiphenolytic glycolipid 1 antibodies. You can find our study calendar, a guide on how to study microbiology specifically for the boards, our contact email address, and references used to make this episode at thebradleylab.wordpress.com. If you found an error or would like to discuss any of this information, please leave us a voice message in the show notes. If you appreciated this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend. This podcast was written and edited by me, Jillian Bradley. See you tomorrow.